0: Here we go. It's episode 16 of RJ Bell's Dream Preview, the NBA edition. It's Joe Serralo here with my guy, as always, Mackenzie Rivers. Mackenzie, our best bets might have gone 0 2 last episode, but we did go 2 0 in one respect.
1: Lonzo Ball and DeJounte Murray, welcome to the All Star team. You and I identified that there were two players that were incorrectly not included. Should be those two, they were included. We didn't win any money, true, on these <laughs> predictions, but nonetheless, I'll take pride in them.
0: Justice was served. LaMelo Ball, the best of the ball brothers, and DeJounte are all-stars. Obviously, Kevin Durant and Draymond Green are the two that are being replaced. Hey, Mackenzie, this is our only show of the week. Our usual Thursday show will not take place because I'm here right now, live at Radio Row in Los Angeles, ahead of the Super Bowl, so I've got some other obligations Thursday evening. But the trade deadline in the NBA is Thursday, and the Cleveland Cavaliers are ahead of the curve. They've added Karis Levert from Indiana. So, Mackenzie, I ask you, how much of an impact is Levert going to have on Cleveland down the stretch, and what's their ceiling with this addition now?
1: Shout out to the Gilbert franchise. Normally, I would not be talking about Dan Gilbert in any kind of positive light of Comic Sans infamy. Dan Gilbert actually finally got something right. The Cavs were in a holding period without LeBron. Since LeBron, they've been a terrible organization with no real uh, thing to hang your hat on. Colin Sexton wasn't it. Darius Garland, he's been very good. He's made the all-star team. He's out right now. But the Cavs, something J.B. Bickerstaff's doing, currently second to Monte Williams in coach of the year odds. I l- kind of like him at 3-1. to one. I think that story's a little bit more compelling than the Suns just continuing to be excellent but J.B. Bickerstaff has this Cavs team out of the blue, expected to be one of the worst teams in the league, not only top four in the East, but a real chance to win a playoff series or two, and we've talked about it since Rubio went down, since Sexton has been down for a while, and now Garland's dealing with something. The Cavs have had one glaring, glaring hole as guards that can score. Now they actually have one. Karis LeVert used to be a Brooklyn Net He's an excellent six-man, excellent guy to throw the ball to any time of the day. Give you a 45% shot. That is the kind of thing that keeps an offense ticking, especially one that's built around big men. Love the signing. I love the aggression. It'd be so easy to fall back 7th, 8th in the East. You know, better than expected, but you know, not good enough to beat the Bucs in round one, yada, yada, yada. No, none of that. This team is as good as anybody, not named the Bucs or the Nets right now in the East. It's got to be exciting if you're a Cavs fan. Life after LeBron, it really does exist. It absolutely does here in
0: 2022. few things to unpack there. First off, with uh, Bickerstaff, he has got to be the coach of the year. I mean, I love Monty Williams. I love the Phoenix Suns. We've got plenty of Suns talk coming up this episode. But what Bickerstaff has done, I mean, Cleveland this year, the fastest team since I believe it was, what, the 2013 Suns, to eclipse their Vegas projected win total on the season. The Cavs did it in... About half a season. That in and of itself should make him the coach of the year. Uh, And how about this, McKenzie? In the loss column, Cleveland, who is the current four seed in the East, is just a game out of the top seed. So when you look at the Eastern Conference, right, and you look at how bunched up those standings are, you've got Miami, Chicago, Milwaukee, Cleveland, Philly, all within a game of each other in the loss column. That's the top five seeds. That one seed is going to matter. Because the five seed in the Eastern Conference is going to be just as good as the one seed. And oh, by the way, I just named the top five teams in the Eastern Conference standings. The Brooklyn Nets didn't make the list. When they get Kevin Durant back, watch out. So that top seed is going to be important. And like you said, this is a very aggressive move here by Cleveland to try to make a push to get that top seed. Now, all of a sudden, this team, who we always talk about how front court heavy they are, now they have a backcourt that will average 40 points per game. Garland's at almost 20, Levert's at almost 19. And you mentioned him as a sixth man, and I think on most championship-caliber teams, most contending teams, he is a great sixth man. But I think with Cleveland, because they are so front-court heavy, he's going to be inserted as a starter. And him and Darius Garland down the stretch, that's as good a 1-2 combo as I think any backcourt in the league has.
1: Definitely. And it's not only the points, the 19 points that he's going to be providing, but it's the range Five threes a game the last two seasons. They don't have anybody on the roster that has been that threat so far. Now they do. They're kind of a well-put-together team. I mean, one through five, they don't have – it's been funny. I've been saying they don't have an all-star. They actually do have an all-star now. But they don't have any uh, top ten player anywhere close to that. But they got five guys that I think are above average that are more than the sum of their parts. So sneaky team to make the Eastern Conference Finals, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Didn't think I'd be saying that this season.
0: No, I don't think anyone did. And, you know, it's ironic because I'm here right now at Radio Row ahead of Super Bowl 56 and look at the Cincinnati Bengals. Maybe there's a little bit of Ohio magic in the air, Mackenzie. you know, (laughs) teams that came into the year with no expectations. The Bengals are the biggest long shot, I believe, in Super Bowl history preseason to make it to the big game. And the Cleveland Cavaliers, you know, I don't want to go crowning them Eastern Conference champs just yet. But like I said, a game out of the top seed in the loss column, anything can happen.
1: That's so funny you mentioned that. For straight out of Vegas, I was just doing this research. You are correct, sir. The last twenty-five years of Cincinnati Bengals, Cincinnati Bengals, Bagels, <laughs> Cincinnati Bengals are the biggest long shot to ever make the Super Bowl at one hundred sixty to one coming into the season. Do you know there was one other team that had greater than a hundred to one shots coming into the season that made the Super Bowl since nineteen ninety nine? Do you have a guess who that might be?
0: Yeah, I think I have this one. Was
1: it the two thousand one Patriots? No, very close. Ooh. They were 60 to 1, according to my research, entering the season. It was the 1999 St. Louis Rams. The grocery boy himself, Kurt Warner, off the street, somehow made the Super Bowl and won it at 100 to 50 to 1 preseason odds.
0: Wow. All right. So I, I remember the 0 1 Pats were tremendous long shots, but Warner's Rams, the greatest show on turf. Amazing. Hey, Mackenzie, we're talking about underdogs right now, but let's talk about favorites. Coming into today, and as we record this, it is, you know, Monday, February 7th. So coming into today, favorites have covered 11 of the past 12 NBA games. And already looking at today's games, there are some in progress, but two have already covered. And there are three going on. It's looking like at least two more are going to cover. So 11 out of 12, good chance that after today's slate is complete, 15 out of 17 favorites in a row have covered. Mackenzie, what's the reasoning behind this?
1: Well, it's another February, and it's another February of domination by the favorites. And I mentioned 12, you mentioned 13 and one right now with three pending on Monday night. That one underdog winner, it was plus one. It was the home dog, the Mavericks, who actually opened as a favorite. So if you've done nothing but uh, bet opening favorites, you've won the past three days with no losses. So that got me a thinking because a couple years ago, Bernie Frato, who I produce his the straight out of Vegas weekend edition. He said, you know what? Uh, you've been working hard producing the show. Come on on Saturday, the D block, which is the last five minutes of the show. You can talk about whatever you like, you know, we'll do a segment for you. And we've been doing that ever since every Saturday, 11 PM Pacific, two o'clock AM and the East coast. You can check me and Bernie out, do a couple hours on Fox sports radio. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly Bernie, but I'm there too. But one, the very first thing I couldn't wait, I was was chomping at the bit to get on radio and talk about, was this trend I'd been noticing. Throughout the 2019 season, road favorites had been doing tremendously well, especially if they were road favorites of more than five points. Now, the last season, that trend didn't do so well. Uh, There's a lot of different factors. It's not as simple as bet this certain team but I think we would be remiss. We'd be missing something huge as NBA betters, not to grab on to some of these macro trends. For example, beginning of the year, first month of the year, 65% unders. Almost every game, the way they were calling fouls, the way the ball was kind of unusual. You'd be remiss not to say, hey, all these games are going under. I'm going to factor that in. Well, road favorites were killing it that, that year. In fact, favorites in general, as points have been going up, we've been talking about as totals have been going up the last 10 years, it tends to matter less if you're getting four, five, or six. Therefore, using all the algorithms that the NBA models have used for years, those four, five, and six underdogs, their points matter less. Therefore, they're covering less often. And I have a theory because I, that was, I mentioned that Bernie's uh, anecdote because it was February. It happened to be February 8th, and that this trend had been had been running strong road favorites. Now that the, these favorites have gone on this 13 and one crazy trend, every team that's better recently, the last few days, have shown up and won. I did a little research. So I said I want to look at modern games. So 2018-19 season and beyond. That's three seasons plus, all the different fluctuations of the NBA and its rules and its you know talent pool. I thought that is the best sample. It's a big enough sample, but it's also just the most recent games. Favorites over that time, 51%. Okay, 51.3%, that's solid, it's good information, hopefully it can help you make win bets, but you're not cashing enough tickets at 51% to make money, but I looked month by month, and February by far, by far the best month for favorites, and I have a theory about this, but just to run it down, October, season opens, nobody knows who's anybody's good, you know, favorites, underdogs, nobody knows, favorites only win 47% of the time in February. Comes up slightly above 50% in November, slightly above 50% in December.
0: Hey, ju- ju- just, just just to clarify, you just said 47% in February. You mean in October, correct?
1: Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Yes.
0: Okay. Just, just for our listeners out there, because this is, really, this is really good information they're getting. I just wanted to make sure that no one got confused. <laughs> I
1: appreciate that. It'd be easy to get confused if I say the wrong thing. So I appreciate that. Yes. The b- very beginning of the season, favorites not so good, 47% in October. January, again, slightly above 50%. In February, since 2018, 55.5%, 315 winners, actually 317 if I count tonight's, and only 254 losers. That's 55.5%. Now why? I have a theory, but before I get to that, in March, it cools off a lot, slightly above 50, but in April, before the playoffs start, it jumps back up to 54%. Now, I mention that because here's my theory. In April, what's happening to teams that are bad? They are preparing vacations. They are moving on mentally and spiritually from the ordeal that they have done. I think that is an even stronger effect, especially because it's not picked up by the market. It's an even stronger effect in February where favorites are 55% because all the teams that have realized that their season is amiss, that they're playing for... Development, they're playing to see who's good, they're playing to, you know, get some stats for their baseball cards or whatever. All those teams have slowly come to this realization where all the playoff contenders, the Timberwolves out of nowhere playing great basketball, the Suns want to make a statement, want to have a number one seed. These teams that care really care. And they show up in ways that consistently beats expectation because the market, maybe they get how good the Suns are, how well they're playing. They don't get that the Wizards, without Bradley Beal, this was my best bet on Saturday, just aren't going to show up, just likely aren't going to show up with the same intensity that they have done, you know, in January and in December and before they realized the season was a miss. So one last little tweak to verify my claim that it was this anticipation of the All-Star break. Just to hone in on exactly my theory, I said, okay, the two weeks in February – directly before the All-Star Game. I went back, same time period. 2019, in this two weeks before the All-Star Game, 58%. 55 winners, only 40 losers for favorites of any stripe. Any stripe. Favorites are 58% the two weeks before the All-Star Game, 2019. 2020, 57%. 2021, I first did this math, first two weeks of February, I got 51%. I said, huh, not really that impressive. Well, then I double-checked the 2021 All-Star break, you might remember, was pushed two weeks. It was actually in early March. So if I looked at the All-Star the two weeks before that All-Star game in late February, again, favorites 52%. And this season, 2022, so far, since February 1st, favorites of 28 winners, only 11 losers. That's 72%. The market hasn't realized it yet, but the reality is shaking out. Who are the real players? Who are the contenders? Who's trying on a night-to-night basis? And who, like the Wizards for the second time in a row, are just ready to get their doors blown off? Not sure if this theory will stay consistent, but I know that I'll be looking at favorites with an extra interest the next couple weeks before the All-Star break.
0: I'm with you on that, my man. Look, that was a lot of information, but it backs it up. We're looking at three years of trends here. Favorites in February, especially the two weeks leading up to the All-Star break. Seem to be the move. So let's get into a couple of games. We're starting with the Lakers. I'm in Los Angeles, my man. We have to do it. Bucks, Lakers, Tuesday night basketball, and the Bucks are four and a half point favorites. McKenzie, are you looking at the favorite in this one, or do the Lakers as home dogs show a little something in LeBron's second game
1: back? Well, first, I have to ask you, the globe trotter that you are, you're in L.A. LeBron decided to show up and actually play basketball at Staples Center or whatever it's called. Were you in attendance? Were you a witness, my friend? <sighs> Don't get me started, Mackenzie. I got off
0: the plane <laughs> at 3.30 p.m. local time on Saturday. And first thing I did was, before I even called an Uber, I checked to see if LeBron was playing. And he was listed two hours before tip-off as mm-hmm. out. I call my Uber, I get to my Airbnb, I settle in, it's 5.15, I get a push notification from ESPN, LeBron is starting. There were a lot of expletives, said in that moment, my friend. You know, (laughs) forget the fact that I'm a Knicks fan and it was Lakers-Knicks, that would have been cool, but I just wanted to go see LeBron. So, really upset, and then to make it even worse, the Knicks go up 20 at halftime, LeBron pulls a triple-double out, overtime game, Lakers win, I mean, it was just an incredible game. I don't know if you saw Anthony Davis's put back dunk. Uh, that was just a highlight, real play, and I missed it. So I'm going to try to get to this one. Bucks, Lakers, Giannis versus LeBron. This is my next goal. Uh, we'll see if I can pull this one out. But you've got the Milwaukee Bucks favored by four and a half. Looking at them on the season, even though they've been a subpar covering team on the road, they are 14 and 13 against the spread. As an away favorite, they are 12 and 7 against the spread. Mind you, we're looking at favorites here. That's the sixth best mark in the NBA among road favorites. The Lakers at home, just 12 and 17 against the number. Looking at the last five for Milwaukee, they have won and covered three straight and won and covered four out of five. And in all five of those contests, four of which they've won and covered, they were favored by five or more. So this is actually their lowest margin that they've been favored by in their last six. The Lakers, on the other hand, have covered three straight. They've covered five out of seven. Good numbers for LA. But they've only won three out of those seven. And you did make the point that in recent years, spreads of four, five, six, they're usually covered by the team who wins outright because of the direction that the NBA has gone in. So with that into consideration, Milwaukee minus four and a half is my play here. Do you have a play on this game, McKenzie?
1: A strong lean to the Bucks might be a play for me. Uh, it's it's close enough where I'm going to take the time to, you know, watch reports and everything. You mentioned that it's funny because we talked about the Knicks-Lakers. We previewed it, and I had such a similar experience to you because I looked at the line. It was two and a half. I'm like, okay, I guess LeBron's not playing. And then I saw halfway point. Knicks are up by 20. I'm like, wow, I guess, you know, Knicks are really good. And, wow, the Lakers <laughs> really need LeBron. And then the, Le- the Lakers come back, and they win. And I'm looking at the box where I'm like, wait a minute, LeBron played. Not only did he play, but he had 30, 10, and 10 or something. How did I miss this? I looked at the line. It was only two and a half. How could I be so wrong as to say that the Lakers should only be two and a half point favorites without LeBron when they were two and a half point favorites with LeBron? Well, I sharpened my pencil a little bit more. I looked at the odds in that last hour, exactly as I predicted, that line shot up from two and a half to five and a half. LeBron's not worth the six points league's best six points he used to be but he's still awfully important to the line so unbeknownst to me that line actually moved appropriately and exactly as i would have predicted the bucks here are not a favorite that i'm looking to dive into yet like i said i lean that way but here's my thinking the theory that i just outlined about favorites in the in the early season of february has to do with they're still going 100 versus a team that's you know ready for a break the Lakers are not ready for a break. They can't be ready. They're three games under 500. So they're going to bring the intensity. I don't think they're as good as the Bucs. I don't think they're functioning as well as the Bucs. So I do think we have the right favorite here. But when the season started, the Bucs were 7.5-1. to one, The Lakers were 5-1 to one to win it all. They all have the same players back. I know the Westbrook experiment has worked probably as bad as anyone could have predicted. But that says the lunch. At the beginning of the season would have been about two and a half. It would have been even now we're six and six and a half points. The other direction for bucks, minus four, four and a half. That's enough to keep me off of it. I'm just a excited observer of that particular ball game.
0: Yeah. And look, you know, I can't wait to, uh, to hopefully be there yes, because sir. everyone should be excited. Anytime you get two all time greats, LeBron, who many people, you know, agree is top two of all time. Giannis, who will probably be a solidified member of the top twenty sooner rather than later if he's not already. I mean, to see those guys go head to head, betting spread line aside, that's just a treat. So I hope I get to see that one, Mackenzie. There is another great game going on Tuesday night. The Phoenix Suns make a little trip to the East Coast. They've got a pit stop in Chicago right now. They're up fifteen with two minutes to go. Chalk that up as another favorite, as they were favored by six and a half in that one. They're going, they're going to be forty three and ten in a couple minutes, and they'll be taking on the 76ers and the MVP favorite, Joel Embiid, who currently sit at 32 and 21. There is not an official line out since Phoenix has not finished playing yet, but ESPN's Game Center, which typically tends to have accurate lines, even though the totals, as we've learned, uh, do vary. The Game Center has Philly as a a two-and-a-half-point favorite, a rare game as an underdog for Phoenix, just the sixth time this season. The Suns will be dogs if that holds. What do you think about this one?
1: Line makes about sense to me. I would have the Suns as a favorite if it wasn't a back-to-back, both games being on the road. Minus the two points for that disadvantage and the Suns being a slight underdog makes sense to me. FanDuel, I realize, is uh, kind of a semi-legitimate market because sometimes their numbers, by the time you actually can bet them with real money, are, are very different. The Sixers are minus one and a half right now on FanDuel. But let's go back to that ESPN team rankings because I got not a little bit of flack for that for that totals uh, projection. And they say, (laughs) and I went through all the team rankings projections the next day. And this was after all the lines were out. And I'm like, man, that's a half point off the total. That's a third point. That's a third of a point off the total. How is it that the one total that I actually needed from them from team rankings, the one time I actually went to them because no other line was out, was 10 points off the projected total? Well, a little bit of digging. Look for projections in their fine print if they regress towards the Vegas mean. Meaning, do they know the total in their projection? Because if they do, they're gonna say, okay, well, let's be within the total because Vegas knows more than we do. And it's kind of a bullshit projection. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, it's kind of just taking the answer key and flipping over the page and pretending like you've done something. So I've officially developed my own proprietary total tool that I'm gonna use, you know, before I use team rankings. But hopefully, You know, like this game, we'll have lines out. The Sixers, slight favorites, consistent across anywhere you look at the line. It makes sense to me. The Suns have been playing dynamite. I have this new 12, 30, and year-to-date observation tool I'm looking at. Number one year-to-date net rating. Number two the last 30 days. Number two the last 12 days. That's consistent on offense and defense. The Sixers, number nine year-to-date. Number seven the last 30 days. Number 10. The last 12 days, they've had a lot more in and outs. They've had a lot more stop and starts. So if you think the Sixers are as good as they are on their best day, yeah, this line probably makes sense. But the consistency is with the road dog here, the Suns. So for me, I'm looking at Suns or pass. What are you thinking?
0: Well, looking at the numbers a little more in depth. First off, I will say, you know, even though Phoenix is 1, 2, and 2 in the three metrics you just labeled, still a top 10 matchup any way you slice it, whether it's full season, last 30, last what was the other one, last two weeks? Still a top 10 matchup. So you've got Phoenix against the spread after a win as that game against Chicago is nearing a final. They will be 25 and 17 against the number after a win. It's a lot of wins. That's the fourth best percentage in the NBA. Uh, 17 and 9 against the spread on the road. 9 and 6, this was interesting to me, against the spread with a rest disadvantage, while Philly is only 4 and 7 against the number with a rest advantage. Now, that's really unusual, and Mackenzie, that leads into my best bet this episode. It's the Phoenix Suns Uh money line. I know February is for the favorites. Well, you know, Saturdays is usually for the boys, but it doesn't always work out that way, right? Suns money line, my best bet. Forget against the spread for a second. Phoenix has only been in underdog five times this year, and they've won three of those contests outright, right? The Philadelphia 76ers rely on defense, but their defense has run out of gas lately. Even in their win against Chicago following that disappointing blown loss to Dallas, they gave up 108 points. DeMar DeRozan put up 45 on them. Phoenix is an offense that can't be stopped even on back-to-back nights. Give me the best team in the league to win outright. That seems like a pretty good best bet.
1: No argument for me here. I will say, as much as the February trend is about favorites, I mean, is favorites as the trend I'm representing. I think what it's capturing is that teams that are rolling at this time of year continue to roll right through the all-star break and no team is rolling more than the Phoenix Suns. So no disagreement from me, like the play.
0: Awesome. McKenzie, that leaves us with one order of business to get to. What is your best bet, my friend?
1: My best bet, we're going to go to Wednesday night and the exact same thing that I just talked about. What teams are rolling? What teams really care? And what teams are playing out this stretch? Well, two teams that came into this season, maybe with similar talent, couldn't be going in more divergent directions. Give me, Wednesday night, the Minnesota Timberwolves. My projection is they're going to be about a four-point favorite. I'll play it up to minus six at Sacramento. Coming into the season, both people had a lot of expectations. Well, Sacramento fired their coach about two weeks in, Luke Walton. He's gone. De'Aaron Fox, their one player, their... Carl Anthony Towns type franchise player to pin their hopes on. He's not there. Hasn't been there for the last couple of weeks. Isn't going to be there through the all-star break. Now let's just look at that 12, 30-day and year-to-date metrics that I've been using. Direction of these two teams is startling. So Sacramento, yes, very disappointing season. They're 26th on the season net rating. Last 30 days, they've been 28. Last 12 days, even with a cakewalk over Oklahoma City yesterday, 24th on the season. The Timberwolves, their 11th year-to-date net rating. Last 30 days, they've been number three in the league with the number one offense. Well, let's look at those 30 days. What happened 30 days ago? Oh, yeah, that's right. D'Angelo Russell came back from injury. Carl Anthony Towns came back from injury. They joined up with Anthony Edwards, who probably should have been an all-star. Maybe if there was another snub, if there was a third snub, it could have been Anthony Edwards. All three guys are healthy, playing their best ball, They have the number one offense the last 30 days, number two offense the last 12 days. Compare that to Sacramento, who has the number 26th defense the last 30 days. And like I said, only the 24th best net rating. Love the Timberwolves. Love the athleticism that they have. De'Aaron Fox is not going to be there. Tally Halburton isn't that defensive presence that that De'Aaron Fox can be. So I like the backcourt, Russell, Edwards, I like Anthony Towns. No real, you know, counterpart to match him down low Rashawn Holmes doesn't scare me. Love everything about this game. One of the my favorite best bets that I've given out in a while, unless this comes out, if, if the market is smart and they make it Timberwolves minus 10, then I'm going to have to renege because I can't bet, bet it. But they're not. The market is not smart. The market is using algorithms that have preset power ratings that are not going to suddenly say, hey, favorites are 12 and one. They're really going. They're going to change it four points, which is really probably appropriate. This number is going to come out really healthy, really easy to cover minus four. Love the Timberwolves to get it done. My best bet for Wednesday, Minnesota Timberwolves, minus four at Sacramento.
0: I love that. I mean, Minnesota minus four to me in this contest, and this matchup is an absolute steal. You mentioned how for most of the season, they haven't had Russell Towns and, you know, Edwards left. He was on the COVID list for a bit. The three of them together, is as lethal a big three as you can find right now in the NBA. The T-Wolves have won four straight. And another thing, you know, you talk about this time of year, teams start having something to play for. They are just a game behind Denver for the sixth seed in the Western Conference. The Timberwolves do not want to be in that play-in. Now, even though if they're the seven, that 10 seed looks pretty tame. You know, it could be New Orleans, Portland, San Antonio, Sacramento. I mean, that's a pretty tame 10 seed right there in the West. But you don't want to be in it, right? You want to have that six seed locked up. They're a game behind Denver. They're playing for everything. They're at full health. Man, four is one of the, you know, Minnesota minus four would be one of the juiciest lines I've seen in a while in this league, even up to five and a half or so. That's something you jump on, in my opinion, McKenzie. I love the best bet.
1: One time in the last 17 years, the Minnesota Timberwolves have made the playoffs. They don't want any play in tournament. They are fighting tooth and nail to get into that top six. Love the motivation. Love the play. All right, it's two best bets.
0: Minnesota minus four is McKenzie's. Mine is the Phoenix Suns' money line as dogs in Philadelphia. And just like that, short and sweet, my man. That'll wrap up episode 16 of the NBA edition of RJ Bell's Dream Preview right here on Pregame. I'm Joe Sorallo for my guy McKenzie Rivers. Go make some money.